Well, let's begin to hear God's word with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for gathering us together this morning on this cold and uh, somewhat blustery day. We pray that as the wind blows outside, that the wind of your spirit would blow in here, that we might hear your word and believe it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite people in life has the, the number one written on his wall. Just a little sticker and a, a number one. And I asked him one day, you know, why do you have a one on your wall? And he said, I each day try to make things in my life 1% better. I don't try to solve the world's problems. You know, I don't try to fix poverty or, or try to fix everybody else's personal and family and relational issues. I just try to make the things in my life that I can control 1% better. And that has paid off huge dividends for this guy. He has set himself in his life on a, on a great track for personal growth. He continues to grow and, and have a profound influence and impact on the people around him. He has discovered greatly the effect of habits as we would commonly call them, or, or more commonly as Christians would call them, would call them Christian practices or, or disciplines. He's discovered that if you do the same thing over and over and over every day, and you keep working on it just a little bit every day, you will keep getting better. And that will make you grow, and it will make the people around you grow. You don't have to solve all of the world's problems. But if you have discipline and you put the practices into effect every day, 1% at a time, you'll see a lot of growth. Now, if you ask a lot of different people, they're going to give you a, a variety of things that we would call Christian practices or, or Christian disciplines. I'd be really interested sometime to do a survey of everybody here and See what you think are the essential practices of Christianity. You know, worship, evangelism, giving, generosity, prayer, reading the Bible. I bet that you could all list something that I've missed. But there are certain key practices that almost everybody agrees are essential to the Christian faith. They're essential to us personally if we want to grow like that other guy, if we want to see that 1% growth in our lives day after day. And one of the most important ones is one that I bet almost none of us would list right off the bat. I, I didn't list it in my, my last list. It comes right at the beginning of the Bible. The, the beginning of the Bible, you know, it starts with Genesis and creation, making of Adam and Eve, and then, then sin comes into the world. And then do you know what the next event is? Next event is, is, is a man, two brothers, Cain and Abel. Uh, and Cain and Abel, they both bring some offerings to God. They offer offerings. And for whatever reason, we don't know exactly, Abel's offering was accepted by God as, as a favorable and a good offering. Cain's was not. And God said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? Sin is crouching at your door. It seeks to overcome you, but you, you must master it. 
the very first practice that God gave to sinful human beings was mastery of sin. It's resisting sin. It's, it's fighting sin. And so C.S. Lewis actually, he described the Christian life this way. He said, enemy-occupied territory. That's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say in disguise, and is calling us, you and me, to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. We are out to sabotage, to fight against the devil. It's our task to master sin, to resist it, and to, to overcome him. And are, are you up for the challenge? Are you up for the fight? That's what we're called to this morning. Are you ready for the fight? If we're going to start the fight, we've got to start the fight with the opponent, the person we're fighting against. That's the devil. That's what we see right away today in Luke chapter 4. Got a, a great image here, picture of what one artist suggests that the devil looks like in this scene. Jesus is beaten down, he, he's broken, and the devil looks valiant. He, he comes in strong and well-armored, ready for uh, the battle. You know, for a, a lot of us, I could probably just go right into this episode and start discussing what it means and how it applies to us. But there are a significant number of people who, you know, who don't know if the devil really exists or who are at least skeptical of it. So I think we need to briefly mention that this morning, namely that the devil is real. Increasingly, um, studies, sociologists, they're telling us that, that people accept that the devil is real. Uh, even young adults in America are, are increasingly interested in the supernatural. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, one interesting statistic or example of this is the increase in the number of requests for exorcisms in the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church in 2018 saw a very sudden and unexpected spike in the number of requests for exorcisms. Isn't that interesting? Like this, the, the Diocese of Indianapolis had, I think, 1,700 requests for exorcisms last year. One priest said he, he gets a, a dozen a week. A dozen requests for exorcisms every week. And, and this matches what general statistics are telling us uh, from 1990 on. There's been almost a, a 15% increase in acceptance of the existence of the devil in America. Now, why is that important? Because it means that there is no safety in sin. There's no safety there's no security for you and for me in, in giving in to evil. Um, it, this is really hard to see, right? You almost, you almost have to go through it and you have to be coming back to it from hindsight to see it. You know, but I've talked to, and probably you have too in your life, talked to a lot of people who, who grew up maybe religious or or spiritual or somewhat in the Christian church. 
they left the church and they, they went away for a while and they thought that maybe life would get better for them. And I just had one of these conversations again the other day where they said, no, you know, I realized after a while that it was no better. I had different challenges, but it was, it was not any better. It was not any easier. And, and they said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about coming back, trying out your church because I'm looking for some peace. There was no safety or security for him in giving in to sin. Why is that? It's because the devil is, is real. The devil is a, a personal, powerful being. He is craftier. He is smarter than everyone. He's got way more skill at tempting you. And, and if you think that you can, can give in just a little bit and find some safety, some security and pleasure, get some release, you're in for a, a, a rough ride, a, a tough surprise. There is no safety. There's no security in giving in to the devil. See, that's the first part of the fight that we have to admit. We can't run away from it, so to speak. There's no avoiding this fight in our life. Can we get away from it maybe by following Jesus? Will that give us a safety? Will that get us away from the fight? Let's see what happens to, to Jesus here. Luke chapter 4, it starts like this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You notice twice in this verse, who does Luke say is the cause of Jesus' temptation? It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. And Mark and Matthew, when they tell the story, they actually make the connection even closer. Jesus gets baptized, and then Mark says, immediately, the Spirit shoves Jesus out to get tempted. See, what's going on here? Well, here, this is the way man-made religion usually works, okay? Man-made religion says to us, if I'm a good person and I do the right thing, then God will bless me and he'll take care of me. And if I'm a bad person and I do the bad stuff, then God or the gods, they're going to punish me. That, that's the way man-made religion tends to work. This is story, well, look at Jesus. What happens to Jesus? God the Father baptizes Jesus, and this voice booms from heaven and says, this is my son. I love him. I'm enamored with him. I'm so pleased with him. He is the, the shining beacon of my life. And then what happens? His whole life gets turned upside down, doesn't it? it, it disaster and terror enters into his life. It's a crazy thing. Do you know what most Christians who leave the faith end up saying why they do it. Maybe you've heard people say this to you. Don't they say it's because they don't think that God is in the details? You know, they're going through their life and they don't feel like God cares about them. They're going through hardship and trial and God just leaves them alone. They've completely forgotten that there's a voice from heaven and there's a voice from hell. The voice from heaven says, this is my son, I love you. And when you are a baptized child of God, that's what God says about you. But the voice from hell says, is it really true? If you were a baptized child of God, wouldn't your life be so much better? Martin Luther put it this way. He said, as long as we live in the flesh, 
and we have the devil about us, no one can escape temptations and incitements to sin. It cannot be otherwise. We're bound to suffer temptations. In fact, to be deeply involved in them. And so one time, actually, Luther congratulated a young man, like a 30-year-old young man, because he was getting tempted. He said, there's basically nothing better for you right now in your life. Congratulations. So you can't avoid temptation, even if you're a Christian. You can't run from the fight. You're going to be tempted. And so now we can finally see, if we can't run away from it by, by giving into it, if even the Christian life is going to bring us into this fight, well, what's this fight going to be like? We get to take a look at these couple of temptations this morning, and we really don't have time to go through all of them. I would encourage you, this is something that's worth spending some time at home uh, studying, get together with some friends, call somebody up and have a cup of coffee and say, you know, I really want to think about what, how temptation works in my life. Do you have some time that we can talk about this? This is, this is worth thinking about. Right? The first thing that everybody needs to notice about these temptations is that none of them are what we would call bad things. There's no sex, drugs, and rock and roll here. That's not how the devil tries to tempt Jesus. Okay? These aren't bad things. Jesus doesn't, the devil doesn't take Jesus to a brothel and say, you know, all right, let's have some fun here. Have a good time and see if I can get you. You know, the, the devil doesn't run down the Ten Commandments and try to figure out what Jesus' particular vice is either, does he? These are not bad things. They're, they're all what we would call good things. And if we want to go one step further even in these temptations, these temptations are all things that Jesus deserves. They're things that he deserves that belong to him by a right. The temptation is just to get them in the wrong way. So what are they? Well, the first one, turn these stones into bread. Now, now Jesus has nothing against bread. I know some of you are, you know, gluten haters. You're gluten-free, right? You can't, you can't put up with bread. Uh, there's, there's actually nothing wrong with bread, right? Um, Jesus himself, he pretty much likes bread. He serves bread to 4,000 people and 5,000 people, and he, you know, he gives us the Lord's Supper. He's got a thing for bread. Uh, but Jesus does not at all hate bread. And so what's the temptation here? The temptation is to use his own power for personal gain. When you look at Jesus in the Gospels, one of the things you never see is Jesus never uses his own power for personal gain. Never. He, he's like Albus Dumbledore after he messed up with his, uh, his son or his brother. You know, he, he hurt his brother and then Albus decided he was never going to use his power for his personal gain. Jesus has decided he is never going to use his own power for personal gain. What he's saying to the devil here is, you know, the Holy Spirit has taken care of me for 40 days and 40 nights in this wilderness. I, I don't need you to do anything for me. I'll be just fine. I don't need to take care of myself. So that's the first temptation. Second temptation. Um, and in here I'm going to use, I'm not going to use Luke's order. Okay, so if you're following along in your Bibles and you're using Luke's order, uh, Luke actually changes the order, the standard order. It, it is the second temptation is the devil takes Jesus to the top of the temple. And from the top of the temple, Jesus could have stood and looked out over what we call the Kidron Valley. It would have been something like 
the, the historian Josephus tells us, 500 feet up in the air. It's pretty tall, huh? Jesus is then asked, well, jump. Jump. Why? Why? Well, because, because the Bible says that God will send his angels to protect you. This is, this is why Scripture is so important. This is why letting Scripture interpret Scripture is important. This is why you and I, we need to learn doctrine. Because the devil knows the Bible way better than you do. Right? You, you can go to catechism class every day for the rest of your life, and the devil will still know the Bible better than you that's why doctrine is so important. So that Jesus says back to the devil here, um, well, I'm not going to jump. That would be testing God. That would be not acceptable. Uh, then Jesus moves on. Third temptation. What's the third temptation? I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Again, anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. Right? They all belong to Jesus, don't they? They're all his by, by divine right. And so the temptation is just to simply get them by avoiding the cross, by skipping the cross. Does that sound like a bad thing? No, I'm sure Jesus wanted to, to skip the cross. See, in each case, Satan offers something good. The temptation is never something bad. The, the temptation is always something good. And that's what temptation is. It's to take a good thing and make it the ultimate thing. That's what temptation is in our lives. It's, it's to take a good thing and make it the ultimate thing. The temptations, the real temptations of our lives are not bad things. They're not. The real temptations of our lives are to take the good things and make them the most important things. And that enslavement, that's what the Bible calls idolatry. It drives all of our other behavior. Satan is essentially saying to you and me, look, look at this good thing. Don't you want that good thing? What will you sacrifice to get that good thing? If you gave me, you know, five minutes with every one of you and you told me what's the most important thing in your life, what's the thing that you would want right now in your life, I could tell you what's driving all of your other behaviors, right? I could tell you why you're acting the way you are because you can get at it by what you want most importantly. The biggest thing in your life that is temptation is a disordered love of the good stuff. And most of the time, the way we try to treat that is like the difference between treating a sore throat and strep throat. I get sore throats all the time because I talk way too much. Um, but, and so what the way to treat a sore throat is just to, to suck on lozenges all day long. But if you get strep, which I, I've had before, you can't take lozenges and, and hope someday to, to, say, to cure it. You need to take medicine. And you and I, we tend to treat the disordered love of our lives with the lozenges of behavior modification. We need to take medicine. We need to get at the root of the problem. The real root of the problem, the medicine for that problem, 
comes when we see Jesus. Jesus went down into the the water of his baptism so that he could take our sin on himself. And when he goes to the cross, he takes that sin with him. That's the great exchange. He has not just forgiven us, as if if somehow I could say to you, you're you're just forgiven. No, he has even taken our, our sin on us so that we can have his place. And then God can say to us, when we're baptized, you are a child of God. That is the ultimate good. That's the highest thing. That means that you have everything in the world that you could possibly want, and there is nothing that you could ever trade away that would be better than that. You can't trade anything to get a better place in life than the words that you are the child of God. And you know, this is going to be a fight your whole life. Some of you are, are going through that fight right now to believe that, that you really are a child of God, that this is the biggest fight of your whole life. Hebrews, he puts it this way. You, you heard it this morning. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. How many of you hear the voice often? If you were really God's child, life would be better. How many of us don't hear that voice? Don't we? If we were really God's child, we wouldn't have cancer. If we were really God's child, we wouldn't face job loss. If we were really God's child, we'd feel more forgiven. The battle takes place right before the throne. And you really are God's child. You really are forgiven. You really are loved. You really are accepted. I know that's hard to believe. I wonder it too all the time. Because the devil wants nothing more to say than to say to you and to me, if you were really God's child, wouldn't life be better? You really are God's child. Life can't get any better than this. So come on with me. Let's fight sin. Every day, it's the first practice of the Christian life. We can approach God's throne with confidence and fight this sin. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, the devil wants nothing more than to trick us and to to make us give away our birthright, our place that is by grace in your kingdom. Keep us from that temptation. Let us see his tricks that want us to, to... take something good in this life and make it the ultimate thing. Only you are the ultimate thing. And we pray for your forgiveness so that we might approach your throne of grace with confidence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.